Good morning, church. It's good, good to see you guys today. Uh, good morning, everyone viewing at home. Good morning, mom and dad. It is always a blessing uh, getting to worship with you guys. Um, and I'm thankful for the opportunity that I get to dive into the Word of God with you today. I'm excited because the Bible says that the Word of God is alive and active. It doesn't work in us. It, it, it changes us. And I hope today that we walk away built up, encouraged, convicted if needed, but filled with hope. So today we're actually going to be taking a break uh, from the series of John that we've been going through. We're going to do a little short two-week series about love that Pastor Tyler and myself are very excited for uh, doing with you guys. But today we're going to be looking at one of the most popular sections of Scripture in the New Testament. And it's one that's usually read at weddings, or maybe you've seen it painted on a sign in a home, or maybe it was on your coffee mug this morning. It's one that's widely used or quoted a lot. And it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, also known as the love chapter. All right, I want you guys to do me a favor. All of you guys, kids, adults, I want you guys to think of something that you love. Think of something that you love, okay? And we're going to stand up one at a time, and you guys are going to go through, and I'll share. Just kidding. Kiddos, tell me what you love, kiddos. Come on. Huh? Your dog. What else do you guys love? Come on. Your horse. I heard a horse. Huh? A bird? You guys don't love anything else? Transformers? Great examples. Great examples. Oh, your grandpa? I like it. Huh? Your dad paid you to say that one. <laughs> Uh, well, you guys know that, I mean, if you're brave enough, um, you know that we love, happen to love just about everything, right? We, we use the word love a lot. Like you name it, we love it. California burritos, football, in and out ballet, gardening, good waves, the Padres, certain movies or songs, our favorite Blakey or teddy bear, Saved by the Bell, Pizza Hugs, Walks on the Beach, ice cream, <laughs> video games, barbecue, and our friends, our family, our pets and even a sale at Norris from Rack. We love everything, right? We even love text messages or photos, and we put that little emoji heart thing on it to let people know we love it. The word love is used by us a lot. And when we use this word, it's usually associated with a feeling, right? We use it to describe something about how we feel about something or someone. It's an affection. Well, today we're going to be looking at a different kind of love, biblical love. And this love is a little bit different than the love that we use to describe our favorite ballpoint pen. In this text that we're going to be looking at today, in just the first couple of verses, and throughout Scripture, we see that love is not just a feeling about something, but it's also an action. And like I said, we'll be in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13 today. But before we jump into uh, the text this morning, I would like to open us up in prayer, uh, praying specifically for our hearts to hear and to receive the Word of God today. So if you guys will pray with me. Father, it's an honor that we get to come together as a church family and look at your word, God. Father, I pray uh, that you humble us through your truth today. I pray for our hearts to be prepared to hear your truth, God, and I pray that you take my words and turn them into something for your glory, God. May our eyes be fixed on you, the creator of the heavens and the earth, Lord. And I just pray, God, I pray for us all here to know the depth of your love that you have for us today. 
Father, we thank you for this time. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open them on up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. But we'll be focusing mostly on the first three verses today. So, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. This is Paul writing. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now those were Paul's words to the church in Corinth. And I do want us to get a little context of these verses because there's a reason that Paul put this chapter in here. Right? He put it specifically between chapters 12 and 14 for a reason. In those two chapters, 12 and 14, Paul is writing to the church about spiritual gifts and how there's a variety of them and that they're given by God. Right? Our gifts are not from us, but a gift from God. We didn't create them within ourselves. No, they're from our Heavenly Father, and Paul is reminding the church of this. Paul also talks about how there's one body, one church body, with many members who make up this body. And he states how all these body parts need one another for the body to function properly. All body parts of the church are created equally, just like our spiritual gifts, right? One is not above the other. But the Corinthians struggled with this. The so-called bigger gifts seem to be highly valued by the Corinthians. If you had these gifts, it meant you had like higher spiritual status. And the Corinthians seem to be craving the bigger and greater gifts, just like we do sometimes. The church thought if you possessed a certain gift, then you were special. Right? They, they would place certain spiritual gifts above others. But it doesn't matter how we're gifted, because we're all one body who need one another to work together for God's glory. Division was occurring within the Corinthian church because of this. And one of the reasons I believe that Paul placed this chapter in here it's because the church needed to be reminded of love. Because a lot of times when there's division, that means that love is absent. The church needed to be reminded of the love of Christ. So he says, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and, remove, and understand, excuse me, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If I can speak in tongues, if I have prophetic powers, if I have all knowledge, if I have faith to move mountains, if I give away literally all I have, or I lay down my body, my physical body, to a very painful death, if I do any of these things, or all these things, they're considered nothing without love. I'm thankful that Paul doesn't use everyday examples with this, right? Like if you wash the dishes without love, or you mow your neighbor's lawn without love, or if you milk the goat without love, it's nothing. Even though those everyday examples totally pertain to this text, Paul sets the bar high. He wants us to get the point, right? It doesn't matter if the task is tiny or if it's the biggest thing, most important thing that we can do. 
Without love, it's nothing. But to be honest, it's, it's easy for us, or at least for me, to overlook this chapter because we think we have this whole love thing down and that our hearts are good, right? We hear this thing being read once a year at a wedding and we're good with it. It sounds beautiful. And when we hear or read these verses, they almost can sound kind of cozy, right, and romantic. But if we really press into them and see the application that is anchored to them, they can become quite uncomfortable and even convicting for us. These verses are not just to be read because they sound good or that they're beautiful, right? Paul wrote this because it's a way of life that we're called to live by as Christians. If we're to read this passage as Paul intended, some actually might avoid this chapter because it could be discouraging to them, or maybe seem impossible to actually do. Because when reality hits and opportunities arise for us to love and live like God says we should, it's going to be difficult. And we'll feel like we can't do it in our own strength because we can't, but we can in his. And just like the Corinthians, we also need to be reminded of the love of Christ. We need to be reminded that this is not about us or about our gifts or about what we do, but it's about Jesus Christ and serving him out of love and glorifying our Father. As much as I like to think that I'm special, I'm not. As much as I like to think that it has something to do with my salvation, that I earned it or that I deserve credit or praise for my good works and faithful service, I don't. This has nothing to do with me or about what I have done. Right? I didn't initiate. The disciples didn't initiate. Paul didn't initiate. We were all on our own path, living in sin, pursuing the world and our own desires. And Paul tells us that in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, and you were dead, dead, in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Before we are saved, we are lost. We had no shepherd. Isaiah 53, 6 says, well, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We pursued what we wanted. We considered our own interests above the interests of others. Our lives were about us and only what we wanted. But even as I lived in this manner, right, this mindset that I had, I still considered myself to be a good person who deserved heaven through my own righteousness. But we know that's not true, right? Romans 3, verses 10 and 11 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. My righteousness and my good works did nothing. Everything I thought that made me a good person got me nowhere. Isaiah 64 6 says, it says, all my righteous deeds, everything, are like filthy rags. Compared to God's holiness, my good deeds were considered garbage. I bring nothing to the table. But thankfully, it's not about what we have brought or what we've done, but it's about what Christ did, what God did, right? He initiated. He's the one who started it all. He's the one who gives us our gifts. He's the reason we're able to do these good works. It's because God has given them to us. He's the reason we're able to love like this. And when we see that love that God, God has lavished on us, how can we not do the same for others? Ephesians 2, Paul continues down to verse 8 through 10. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
We've been saved by his grace. This gift of salvation is from God. It's not a result of something that we've done, right? We were separated from God because of our sin. And no matter what we could do in our own strength, reconcile ourselves back to God. We couldn't do it. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us. He shows his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. We were dead in our sins. Dead. And out of love, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that we may live. May we see his great love that he's lavished on us, and may this love then fuel us to live a life of love. Can someone just come up here and hold these papers for me? Just kidding. Totally kidding. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. Kids, do you know what imitate means? My kids do it all the time to me. They make fun of me. Does anyone know what imitate means? Say something. Copy someone. Say something. Look like someone. Cool. All right. So we're called to be imitators of God, right? We're called to look like God, right? It's what Paul's telling us as beloved children and walk in love. He's telling us to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's what we're called to imitate. So be imitators and walk in love while our lives reflect how Christ lived and loved. Jesus was the perfect example for us with this, right? From the beginning of his ministry and all the way to the cross, he displayed that love in all that he did. At one time, Jesus was asked by a Pharisee what the greatest commandment was. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. He asked him, he says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Church, we're called to love. We're called to love God. We're called to love our neighbor. And Jesus displayed this perfectly for us, right? Christ-like love is selfless love. If love is not the baseline or driving force, everything else will be considered nothing. Our words, our works, our faith, our prayers, according to Paul, they'll be considered nothing. You could be the raddest, raddest worship leader who sings amazing worship songs, or you could be that dedicated missionary who gives their life to serve in the mission field. But without love, these things are nothing. Love is non-negotiable. Love is of the utmost importance of how we live our life. Love is foundational for us as Christians. We've been given many gifts from the Lord, but love is more important than all those gifts. When we obey Jesus' commands on how we're called to love our God and our neighbor, our gifts and our acts of service will actually flow out of love. But love cannot be measured by our actions alone. Motives must be assessed to determine what is loving. Because here's the deal, right? If you really do have love, it's going to flow out, right? You know those folks who have that, right? It just comes out. So it's important for us to weigh our motives. Because if you don't have love in your heart, you could actually fake it. You could put on that show of love. And unfortunately, we do that sometimes, right? Maybe we're concerned about our outward appearance, and we might do things that look loving, but are really driven by pride to build our own selves up. We want to earn that gold star servant of the year. Or maybe we serve out of guilt trying to please God to cover our sin. We need to ask ourselves, what are we after? Why do we do what we do? 
Are we looking to be faithful to the call of love and the service Christ did? Or are we seeking the praise of man for what we do? What reward are we after? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Why do we do what we do? We need to ask ourselves that question. Do we find security or significant worth or value in our gifts and how we serve? Why do we give our time or our money? Why do we serve on Sundays? Why do we go on missionary trips? Why do we help other people? Are we doing them to appear more holy and seeking the praise of man? When we do these things, these good works, are we looking for acceptance, maybe acknowledgement? Maybe an earthly reward? Or are we doing them with a heart of love for the glory of God? If we leave love out of our works as Christians, our acts of service really have no reward. We're working for mere man and not for God. Sometimes we expect or anticipate great praise for our spiritual accomplishments or our acts of service. It's easy for us to justify our standing based on our appearance and the praise of others. But then Jesus tells us in Luke 16, 14 through 15, he says, he says, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. When we exalt ourselves for others to see, it's human achievement not done for the glory of God. The Pharisees lacked love in what they did, right? They wanted to be seen. They wanted the praise of man. They prayed loud, and they made sure that everyone saw what they gave. And it's really easy for us to point our finger at the Pharisees, but it's also easy for us to follow in their footsteps as well. And if I'm honest with myself, I like to do things in my own strength. I like to seek after a little praise of man and seek out my own glory. I like to seek after my own interests above others. It's very tempting to do this. But is that really what I want? Temporary praise of man and, and building myself up? Is that the reward that I'm after and that's it? Or do we want to follow in the humble steps of our Savior and serve out of love and seek first his kingdom? Listen, our, our Savior was wrongly accused and labeled a sinner too. And was eventually betrayed by one that he'd washed the feet of. Jesus didn't get the pat on the back or the high five for his great work and neither should we expect it. We don't love in order to get recognition from others, nor do we do it to get recognition from Christ. But we do it because we already have received our recognition from Christ, not by what we've done, but what, but what he has done. And since our recognition is from Christ, we're able to love those who won't be loving in return. It's a lot easier to use our gifts to love pleasant people who are like-minded, that we're close, uh, close to and might pay us back, it's easy to love nice people, especially when we don't have to go that far out of our way. It also helps when we know that we'll get a little recognition for whatever we do. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 46, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. Tax collectors, the sinners, 
they can love people that love them back. But what about those who aren't easy to love? What about that demanding coworker or maybe a friend that gossips about you? An angry spouse? The person that cuts you off this morning when you're driving to church? Life is going to provide plenty of opportunities for us to love as Christ loved. The question is, are we going to follow his lead? Jesus healed the sick in love. Matthew 14, 14. He said when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed the sick. He fed the hungry in love. Matthew 15, 32. That Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on their way. He preached the kingdom in love. Mark 6, 34. Because when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus gave his life in love. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus prayed for the murderers who were nailing him to the cross. The way he served and lived was fueled by love. His eyes were not fixed on what the world had to offer. His eyes were fixed on what his father had to offer. This is not about our emotion or our feelings towards others. It's about how we live, relate, and serve others as Christ did. For us to love and serve others like this, though we have to have our eyes and our hearts fixed on our heavenly reward, not on our earthly one. The praise of man the pride of my heart will last for a split second, right? It's worthless. It's nothing. But when my heart is fixed on what my heavenly Father has offered to me and what is awaiting for me, that can fuel me to use my gifts to serve and live with sacrificial love. When our hope is in his promises and when we know his love for us, we can then live a poured out life for, the glo- for his glory and not for ours. We can love and serve like this because this is how our Savior did it and we're fueled by the love of Christ. Listen, God's love is not just for me, and that's it. God's love is not just for you guys, and it ends there. We're conduits. His love uh, flows through us. It flows through us when we serve for his glory. However, we as humans aren't often motivated by this kind of biblical self-sacrificing love, but we're more driven by the generic type of love that I first described. We're going to do what we love to do. And what we do is driven by what we love. We're going to do things that we already have a love for. We spend more time, energy, money to pursue the things that we love to do. Whether it's playing sports, art, surfing, gardening, whatever it is, we pursue these things because we have a love for them, and that's why we do them. But in the end, those things really don't matter, right? Now, those things aren't bad at all, right? It's good for us to enjoy the common graces that God has blessed us with. But it's also quite easy for us to pour so much of our hearts and souls into these things while I neglect other opportunities to use my gifts to serve and to glorify God. This life is short. It goes fast. What if I had the same passion and love that I use for my hobbies to to be used in the way that I serve God with my gifts? What would that look like? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much I can bench press. No one cares. It doesn't matter how many touchdowns I threw. It was like two. But no one cared then, no one cares now, no one's going to care in 100 years. But when we lay our lives down and serve with the heart of love, those are the things that really matter. 
We already live our lives by what we love. But what we need to do is live our lives by what and how God loves. C.T. Studd says it like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, I don't know if you guys know who C.T. Studd is, but I'll just give you a quick bio about him because he lived these words out. So he was born in England in the 1800s, and he's a famous cricket player there with a very promising career. Cricket was a very popular game over there, and similar to kind of like how baseball, football, basketball kind of thing is over here. And he loved this game, and he literally was a stud at it. But after he got saved in his 20s, early 20s, he realized what really mattered. C.T. Stud truly saw the love of Christ, which then fueled him to live a life for Christ. He gave up his career as a professional cricket player and a very comfortable and wealthy life in England, and he became a missionary. And without looking back, he got on a boat, a boat, not an airplane, a boat for several months to head to his first destination. In the late 1800s, he worked with Hudson Taylor as a missionary service at the China Inland Mission. He also served as a missionary in Africa and India. He exchanged comfort and fame to be able to go love, serve, and share the love of Christ with others. I mean, can you guys just think about that for a second? Think about your favorite sports player, leaving it all behind to go serve in a jungle. When we realize how much we've been forgiven of, and that we've been adopted into the family of God, that alone should lead us to use our gifts to serve for his glory. C.T. Studd also says this. He says, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. So when he calls you to love the unlovable, or when he calls you to consider the interests above your own, or when he calls you to turn the other cheek and bless your enemy, or when he calls up to give up your dreams and your pursuits and your will, for his will, remember what he did for you. Self-giving was, for others, was a normal, normal pattern for how Christ lived. We need to be self-giving, lowering ourselves for the sake of others, because that's what Christ did. We can follow and imitate our Savior, laying our lives down in love because of the hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ. It's the promise of the resurrection that keeps us going. And it also justifies the sacrifices that we make in love for God and others. And we have hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not done in vain. The hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ makes all the sacrifices, time, and effort in the Lord's work totally worth it. But here's the thing, though, right? Every act that we do will probably be not done perfectly in love. It won't be because we're not perfect. But don't let that stop you guys. Let's strive for it. Let's be praying and asking God for more opportunities to serve and love like his son did. Because if we ask, he's going to provide the opportunity for it. We, we do what we do because Christ did what he did. Jesus shares a great example of this life-giving love in his parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke chapter 11. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan 
as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is two days worth of pay, so it wasn't like five bucks. It was two days worth of pay, significant amount, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And he says, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The good Samaritan didn't look at the other dudes, the priest and the Levite, and, and say, who, who passed the man dying on the side of the road. And he said, well, the Levite and the priest didn't help, so why should I? He didn't do that. He saw a need. And the word says that his heart filled with compassion. And he went and served the man. I'm sure the Samaritan had things to do that day. But he was willing for his life and his schedule to be interrupted. And because of that, he probably had to skip out on his CrossFit workout or taking his kids to the eighth sporting event of the day. Instead, he saw a need and his heart was filled with compassion and love and he acted. When we see a need that might be inconvenient for us, what does our heart fill with? Love and compassion? Or do we go to a place of how this situation is going to affect me? The hearts of the priests, Levite, and Samaritan were revealed that day. What is your heart going to reveal when that inconvenient situation lands before you? The Samaritan knew that he, the Samaritan knew that if he got involved, it was going to cost him his time, his money, and possibly his reputation. But that didn't stop him. If he avoided the situation, similar to others, it would have been. Easy for him to justify it, but he didn't. When we love, excuse me, he went above and beyond with, this, with the humble heart, humble, loving heart, and we're called to do the same thing as Christians. When we love and serve in difficult and challenging situations, it might not make sense to others or even to ourselves. But if you really think about it, like if you really, really think about it, Does God's love make sense to us? Does a cross make sense to us? Like, why would Christ die for me? Why would Christ die for you? We were sinners who reveled against God. Right? We were enemies of God. We were separated from him. And the son of God who was perfect, he was perfect. He was sinless. Took on our sin and died a horrific death so that we might be reconciled with God. He did this because he loves you. He gave his life because he loves you guys. When we pursue Christ-like love, it's going to cost us something. We're going to have to step out of our comfort zone, and it might even add a little risk to our life. Christ laid down his life for us, and he's calling us to do the same. He tells us that over and over in the Bible. So why do I expect my life to look different than his? My life should reflect the love of Christ. Not how Casey can live the best and most comfortable self-seeking life on this earth. The Bible doesn't say love your neighbor if it meets your convenience. Or serve others with bitterness. Christ did not go to the cross with a grudge. It was love that held him there. It was love that led him there. And it was love that kept him there. May we know this love. 
Because when we know this love, then we can love as Christ has loved us. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. It says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, this verse is for all of us, but guys, give me your ear just for one second. Because I know that we live in a culture where love may be viewed as weak, soft, or not manly. You're not macho if you live a life of love. And based on some horrible movies and songs, I totally agree. But there's nothing weak or soft about biblical love. It's actually the opposite. Following and loving Christ is not for cowards. Christ laid down his life and willingly, willingly went to the cross and was crucified. Paul commands husbands to love their wives the same way. And other countless times we're called to love in the same way for others. There's nothing weak in that kind of love. We need each other to do this, right? We need encouragement from one another to keep pressing in and living a life filled with love, all of us. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Let's stir, each other, stir up each other for this. Let's encourage one another for this. Let's encourage your feather, fellow Christian to keep pressing in, not to give up when it gets tough, because it will get tough, and we need each other for this. May our lives and our gifts be used to advance the kingdom, not our kingdom, but God's. Well, church, as we close today, I just want to ask you guys a couple of questions. Maybe if you don't answer this for me right now, maybe just pray about it. Are you using your gifts for yourself or for God? Is love absent in the way you serve? Who is God calling you to love? Who is God calling you to serve? Are there opportunities in your life right now for you to love as Christ did? Jesus told his disciples right after uh, he washed their feet, he says, for I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. And then a little bit later in his conversation with them, this is right after Judas left to go betray him. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He calls us to love like he did. Well, let me end with 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we are able to be called your children. Lord, you have adopted us in your family, and you are a loving, loving Father. It is by your grace, Lord, that you've called us by name. And I just pray, Lord, as we walk away today, that our hearts see your love in a deeper way, Lord. May our lives reflect the love of Christ, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those opportunities when they arise in our lives, the challenging ones, those difficult to love, Lord, give us the strength to keep pressing in and to glorify your name, Father. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. We love you, we thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray, Jesus.
Amen.